Escape velocity. supposed to be saving our asses. Looks like there's been a change of plans. Stop the bombing run! So I think it's safe to say that you and I are not gamers. 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 G-A-M-E-R-S. G-A-Y... No, G-A-M... ERS, correct. Gamers. Like you're talking about video games. I'm talking about video games. I don't think you could. We have we dabble. Some of my f- best friends are actually gamers, and my fa- some of my family members are gamers. Fuck! If one of my kids ends up being a gamer, he's out of here. He's out of the house. No son of mine is <laughs> gonna be no fucking gamer. <laughs> and in fact, I think it is the gamers in our circle of friends who drew you and I into playing sporadic, selective video games. Yep. Is that right? And feeling empty and disgusted. And yeah. Vertigo, uh, rage quitting constantly. That is more of a commentary on us than it is a commentary on game games. I am not a video game basher. I believe that uh, more and more it is an interesting developing form of art and entertainment i have a long history of dabbling in video games every few years in 1979 year after i was born really yeah i started playing that pong game at my grandma's house that's funny because i was gonna say that i thought for some reason that my video game history was maybe longer than yours because my family started out with ColecoVision. ColecoVision was post atari 2600 were you a video game household we had an Atari 2600. Oh, okay. And we had Combat, the game that came with the Atari 2600. But you never had a Coleco? You no, I- grown it by then? No, You were no, already no. 30 by the no. time I was six. I coveted one neighbor's ColecoVision and I coveted another neighbor's Intellivision, which was the fucking mm-hmm. the most amazing thing of all time. Back you ever play then. that D&D game on Intellivision? Yeah. yeah. So it's, good. It's yeah, terrifying when yeah. that monster's coming. I don't remember that. I remember- <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. In television, ice hockey, four on four. It was fucking so awesome. Yeah. I, well, I grew up with two brothers and the early console video games were our entire amusement, our entire lives outside of going to school. Really? Yeah. Your mom let you play them all the time? Or? There were no rules in our house. Really? Which explains everything. Yeah. So we had a Nintendo, we had a... Sega Genesis. That we stuff's did. all passed by time. I thought by that time. Nintendo I couldn't 64. Believe, I couldn't believe after the Atari 2600 and the Commodore 64 kind of faded out. Right. And then this Nintendo stuff started. I thought, oh, it's over. It's over and people don't play video games anymore. Oh, well, yeah, sure. A lot of these younger people have these Nintendos, but 
Nobody plays video games. Was a thing of the early eighties. It's right. gone. I How still think wrong that you were. I still think that. Yeah. Well, as it stands right now, video games are the largest entertainment industry on the planet. Bigger than Fat Records. Their revenues exceed the music industry, the movie industry. So I'm in the wrong line of work. You chose the wrong line of work, sir. You should have been designing and developing political video games all this time. Why am I bringing up games? People aren't tuning in to listen about games, our gaming histories, or maybe they are. Not long ago, we had talked to Gene Kilborn. We were talking about the representation of women Mm -hmm. in media, in advertising, in TV, in movies, on the internet, pornography. We're talking about all these things. And somehow we completely neglected both in my conversation with her and in in your and my conversation afterwards, Mm -hmm. neglected to talk about video games because we don't play video games. But it's crazy because they, it is the biggest screen based entertainment industry there is. Yeah. But you can't talk about what you don't know about. That's why we didn't talk about it. We don't do it. We don't, we're not immersed in it. Yeah, I guess we, so. We dabble and the, actually the game we play, we play Left 4 Dead 2. Yes. Once in a while. It's the most sexist video game I've ever played in my life. And having watched uh, Feminist Frequencies breakdown of contemporary video games, it's the least sexist video game that exists. <laughs> Besides Portal, in, in, besides in, Portal Two, in the first-person shooter genre, yeah, for sure. So that's what we're getting to the crux of right here, Chris. Is feminist frequency right? This is a project by Anita Sarkeesian, who is a woman who uh, she started a Kickstarter campaign a couple years back to raise money to do this series that was going to be about tropes versus women in video games. A trope being... A trope being like a common... A a stereotype. A stereotype. uh, A common ploy. A common storytelling tool. And she is a lifelong gamer who loves video games. But as a feminist, she was increasingly disturbed by what she was seeing and decided, much like there is broad critique of movies and TV and music and all forms of art... There should be the same for video games rather than just reviews that go through, you know, what the gameplay is like and the mechanics and how big the worlds are Mm -hmm. and whether the graphics are good. There needs to be some cultural criticism going on around this insanely popular form of art and entertainment. So she raised a bunch of money. Obviously, a lot of people agreed that this needs to be looked at. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. It is. And she has started this series and she's now, I think, five episodes in she produces these half hour videos so number one i mean if you're listening right now and this sounds interesting to you don't listen to us go to feministfrequency.com you can watch these videos she talks about a a whole broad range of kinds of video games and how they represent women uh in different ways the early part of the series talks about the trope of the damsel in distress covering everything from games in the mario series the franchise for example all through these much more modern, violent, first-person shooter games. And her most recent episode, which you and I just watched, was about women as background decoration in video games, particularly where they are framed as helpless. They are the victims of violence for no other reason than to advance the mission or 
cause of the male primary characters in the game. I thought the title was a misnomer for grandpa like me who had no idea to the extent that the games are stooping to to use women as background decoration or fucking basically target practice. Yeah. There is a lot of shocking shit in that video. Yeah. I assumed that there was going to be in contemporary games, you can imagine with a bunch of men running around shooting each other. They're going to insert ridiculous sexist representations of women and you're and you're probably going to see women in all sorts of hypersexualized positions. But this is like a crazy combination of hypersexualized and being beaten, tortured and murdered. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I think I think part of my shock stems from the idea that the society I grew up in, now that I'm far past middle age, was one where video games were for kids. Yeah. And I, I've never been able to give that up. Left for Dead, like I always think I'm playing a fucking, I'm play, wow, what should I be doing this? This is for kids. It's a kid's game. Oh, they're swearing. What the hell? Yeah. Why are they swearing in this video game? And then when I saw this footage that she was showing of people eviscerating women and saying crazy fucking American psycho style shit to them. I picture a a 13 year old playing that and they're not going to, and they are like 13 year olds are playing these games. And they're not going to get it. They're not going to, well, there's nothing to get except the only thing to get is what it is, is that's why you're going to have 13 year olds becoming 14 year old sexists. Well, and you know, the main point that she's making in this latest video. And again, we encourage everybody, if you're interested at all in video games as a cultural force, this is worth checking out because these are very popular games. The main point she's making is that even when these depictions of women are presented as obviously bad, they are not an attempt to glorify it. But if you were to talk to the designers or a lot of the players of these games, they would say, yeah, but it's obvious. It's a bad person that's doing this. And I don't buy you, that. I you don't are buy supposed that. to hurt them. I don't buy that at all. I think it's absolutely glorifying violence against women it's normalizing it it's glorifying it people having a machine gun battle over top of a dead dancer who just was doing a fucking strip tease for them there are many examples in there and i think they they range in the effect that they would have the over the overarching effect i think in the in the point that she's trying to make is that all of this just it just makes it seem like of of course of course there are scantily clad women who are being beaten and murdered in these imaginary worlds of course it's there it makes it gritty and edgy and dark that's like the best case scenario and then in the worst cases it is actually players taking glee or intentionally or developers or the or the developers when they're designing these games i think the project's interesting because she doesn't she's not saying don't play these games she's not like doing this fucking tipper gore we have to put labels on these records or stop these records from being made. She's just saying, these are the games and I'm just breaking them down for you Yeah, from this perspective. No, and I think she's, I think she's also saying we can do better. Yeah. You know, and it's the, true. The, the game industry can do better because it's ultimately, it's also the laziest, cheapest, most uninteresting storytelling which is you what, can imagine. Which is what always rises to the top in every industry. Yeah, that's true. Almost bar none. That's yeah. that's just the way, that's par for the course. But look at science fiction writing, for example. There, There's total right-wing conservative misogynist shit out there. But everybody knows the top dogs in sci-fi are 
going in all different directions and not indulging in fucking misogynistic shit. Yep. They're portraying worlds or characters that are the antithesis of Hollywood tropism. They're using the space provided to them by science fiction, by imaginary worlds, to actually imagine other worlds instead of just replicating everything that we know, all the worst aspects of everything we know in these imaginary worlds. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy and it's boring. And it wouldn't be such a, like if what she showed like maybe 16, 20 games and showed examples from them that were stunningly similar to one another. If it was one game that had it, it'd be like, whoa, okay, that's fucked. Mm -hmm. And it's a different way. You know, you, you could almost, if it was just one game, you could almost think, okay, this is taking us somewhere else for a different effect. Maybe there is some commentary, but when it's every game doing the same thing, yep, it is, it's just, it's so cheap. It's such a, it's so unimaginative and base and the, the perfect definition of a trope and trope. If, if something you're working on is confirmed to indulge in tropism, that means you are a sad developer. Yeah. You are a sad artist. You have phoned it in, regardless of how many fucking shaders or, or how many polygons you're using in your graphics. I don't even know what that is. So the other disturbing aspect to this is that <clears throat> given, to me, there's nothing radical about her analysis of no, it's just, what is happening. It's common sense. To and me. very even-handed. Very even-handed. No hyperbole, actually. And no agenda except except what she says. You know, yeah. I'm just trying to point out what is bullshit in these games. She's not like trying to take your games away from you. Yeah. But g- given that, the uproar which has followed her this entire way from the moment that she launched her Kickstarter campaign, and perhaps a lot of listeners have heard about this because it has received coverage all over the place, especially as it has gotten worse. But she has faced the most ridiculous and disturbing amount of harassment online, bomb threats, death threats, people finding out like where she lives and then tweeting at her that they're going to come to her house at this address and they are going to rape her and kill her family. Explain to me why that is happening. Is it players? Is it is it developers trying to rally the players? Is it... I think it is... Why would you give a fuck? It is the knee-jerk reaction of privileged teenage, either in age or in mind, right. men, who have subsumed their entire identities in gamer culture, and they identify with the games they love. And they feel that they are under attack by an outside force, which is but she's a, gamer. a person with a vagina. You can't actually be a gamer if you're a woman because gamers can only be men, according to gamers. It's, it's an entire subculture that has grown in an originally isolated manner where it's, there's only certain parts of the population that can afford to buy the video games and the consoles and spend, you know, six to eight hours a day or more. Yeah, stay up all them. night stay up all night sitting in one of those vibrating chairs that sounds pretty good actually it does drinking fucking booze all night it's kind of a self-selecting demographic of these people who can go hard doing this and it is very much male it is very much a bro sort of culture and you don't identify with an intelligent woman who's critiquing your favorite thing in the world right so i think that's what's out of the root of it which is informed by general cultural sexism and so all this harassment 
can take its toll on people who are on the receiving end of it. So we're relaying the bad news here, but what what is the action plan? Action plan. Action plan. Okay, well, the first thing you can do is if if you think that these are reasonable critiques, you think that it's reasonable that a woman, a person, should be able to posit a cultural critique of video games and how they portray women, especially the men in the audience, which based on our demographic analytics it's most of you but people like anita people who are in this predominantly male often sexist industry the amount of harassment they get they need people's voices speaking up and saying i support the work you do i'm a man who plays video games and i welcome cultural critique yeah it's funny that that's actually a sentence that you have to speak yeah so that's important i think it's People who are getting shit flung at them all day need to hear that people appreciate the work and that it's valuable and that not everybody out there in the fucking world is some dingbat shit for brains, know nothing asshole. Um, the other thing you can do is that Feminist Frequency is actually, Anita Sarkeesian has set it up as a nonprofit organization. And they are always looking for financial support. So you can donate to Feminist Frequency. If you're in the States, they're like a 501c3 or whatever, nonprofit organization. And you can help support the work that she's doing now and whatever future endeavors uh, that she will get up to. So you can check that out on their website. And also, the last thing of interest is that she has some resources up there on her website, which are primarily links to media which she thinks do not engage in these kind of sexist tropes Hmm. against women video games but also uh, movies and tv shows and other media it's a kind of list i would like to see more of but specifically she points out some games that i think she finds particularly compelling in both in their originality and storytelling and the fact that they do not engage in this fucking nonsense Um, a couple of the examples she has of games are gone home which actually, it's on Steam. I haven't played it, but I've looked at it a couple times. Portal, of course, which we were familiar with. Portal is game. Great game. Uh, Fez and Papa Yeo, which is actually, she discusses that game in the oh, last episode. Steam? Is that on Steam? I don't think so. Yeah, wouldn't that be good? I would love to see like a video game review website where as new games came out, that's what they did is performed cultural critiques on yeah. the games that came out. Maybe that's something Feminist Frequency will do in the future with your donations. Who knows? So, Check it out, feministfrequency.com. Important stuff. Yeah. I have not come this far to die now. Derek, have you been down to the newly almost opened Canadian Museum of Human Rights? I actually rode my bike by there just today. But did you go inside? No, I didn't. It's not open yet. It's not open? It opens this weekend. I thought it opened last weekend. No, I think it opens this weekend. No, I think it opened last weekend. I haven't. But we have arrived, Chris. Winnipeg, Manitoba. We have finally arrived. We're on the map. Human rights are putting us on the map? The Human Rights Museum, it's putting us back on the map. Good. We are an important international destination now. Said who? I thought the fucking zoo was supposed to do that until the tiger ate another tiger yesterday. And they, Isn't that the crazy? Polar bear enclosure got eaten by the polar bears after we spent millions of tax dollars on the goddamn thing. Did they that eat, whole did, fucking thing should did be Did they closed. eat the enclosure? 
the polar bears ate the caulking off the uh, <laughs> some underwater viewing thing, and now people can't go in there because it might collapse. Wow. Way to go, animal prison. Boondoggle. I'll join the Taxpayers Association on that one. The Canadian Museum of Human Rights. Yeah, so this is this is a, the first new national museum in Canada, I think, since 1967. What? And the first the first national museum that is located outside of Ottawa. Ottawa. Really? Yeah. And they plopped it right down at the Forks, the uh, confluence of the Assiniboine River yep. and the Red River. Yep. And this has been a controversial project on many levels. Mm-hmm. It's been in the making for 14 years, and there's a lot of issues regarding content, regarding its location, regarding consultation. But before, before we get into any of that, I think the idea of it is a good one. An institution which proclaims as its focus human rights and justice, viewing injustices of the past, hopefully in order to pave a better way for the mm-hmm. future. I think the idea... Sound sure, it's a glass half full view of it. But when you have a this institution administered by a federal government that has never honored human rights, then the whole thing stinks to high heaven already. To those of us who might be cynical, I'm actually not even that cynical. I'm kind of interested in the place too, mm-hmm. but you know it's going to be fucking skewed mm-hmm. in some people's favor and skewed against other people's yeah disfavor. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to, I want to go. I'm going to go too. Check I, it out. I hope there's a roller coaster in there. I think that an interesting place to start is the fact that being in Canada, in a city in Canada, it is being built on appropriated land, specifically land at, at the Forks uh, here in Winnipeg that has for thousands of years been a traditional meeting site and primarily used by the indigenous population here. As a quick side note, yep. before after they broke ground, they w- there was a uh, an archaeological dig. Presume it was sort of ornamental, but they found thousands and thousands of artifacts uh, during the dig. I used to go down there and just watch them dig. Yep, and uh, they shut it down to start building. Yeah, they found uh, they found more than four hundred thousand artifacts, unbelievable, dating back as far as eleven hundred AD. And but the people who were doing the digging said they weren't finished. No, and they just started fucking laying cement, pouring yeah. cement down there. Yeah, they the didn't want that- too much corroboration that <laughs> this land used to belong to somebody else. Like, come yeah. on, human rights can only go so far. But apparently, only three percent of the land that the museum is sitting on was excavated. So, so there's controversy there. I mean, that's, I think that's worth considering, especially when you're considering a human rights museum. But of course that's with anything being built anywhere in the city, that is the case. I wonder where they took all the dirt for the 97% that wasn't. Yeah, that's right. eh? Cause then somebody could go and look through it and that'd just be interesting. Sift through it. I wonder where that is. Yeah. Just as a dump. But I think more importantly, is when it comes to the content of the museum, which actually, have you looked at the the list of exhibits? No. It's actually, it sounds interesting, but I think the most important thing is that because according to their, the mission statement of the museum is to explore the subject of human rights with a special but not exclusive reference to Canada in order to enhance the public's understanding of human rights, to promote respect for others, and to encourage reflection and dialogue. So they're saying that, there's, that they want to have a Canadian focus because it is the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. And the number one thing 
that you have to focus on if you're talking about the Canadian aspect of human rights is the fact that we're a colonial country, you know, and we have this ongoing colonial genocide against the indigenous people. So isn't that accounted for in their indigenous perspectives thing? Yes. And and I'm curious to see it, but how much, I wonder how much they're going to say about colonialism in there, you know, in, in terms of the ongoing process of the loss of language and culture, or is it just look at the things we did in the past and, now, hopefully, we can give enough money to First Nations so that they can assimilate. Yeah, I think they can pretty much put, they could put together a righteous display in the museum and it'll be relatively meaningless mm-hmm. to the proceedings of the country. Yes. I, w- I was at a similar temporary installation in, in uh, a museum in Australia, in Sydney, sort of a breathtaking indictment of colonialism in Australia and the subjugation of Aboriginal people there. And yeah, what does it change? Nothing. I mean, ultimately, it's great to have a museum that looks at human rights. But the more important thing is how you actually, how a country conducts itself when it comes to the human rights of the people in its own boundaries and also how it conducts itself around the world. That's So that that's... That's the more important thing. Like, you got to get that shit right. It doesn't mean that you have to, like, you can't have both. Yes, make the museum. But the more, far more important thing is how you actually conduct yourself. And Canada has a failing grade when it comes to that. Yeah, I think, I again, I appreciate the glass half full approach when people are talking about a museum of human rights. But leave it to a country like Canada, a colonial state, to relegate human rights to a museum yeah that's where it exists yeah that's where the conversation exists in a fucking bloated overblown over budget yeah 350 million dollar ridiculous building that looks pretty cool in winnipeg where no one will go and see it no we're back on the map (laughs) who the fuck is going to come to winnipeg to go to a human rights museum nobody's going to come here for that it doesn't seem weird it's you're not going to have like a singular it's not like you're going to like New York or no, you know, where there's like a million things to see. Yeah. And then you go to the Holocaust museum there because, Hey, I'm in New York. Yeah. I better go see that. Yeah. And then you're totally depressed when you leave. Yeah. It's like, who comes here? Who comes to somebody in fucking Florida? Hey, Martha, let's, uh, (laughs) let's book a flight to Winnipeg and go check out the Royal Canadian mint. It's the same thing. No one's going to go to a human rights museum. What a waste of somebody's money. About half of that is, Federal, provincial, and municipal funds. People have also noted that there is a complete lack of any sort of mention of the ongoing human rights, the multi-decade human rights debacle in Palestine, in the occupied territories, in the museum. Which, you know, I mean, I think people make this argument that, listen, you can't include every bad thing that happens in the world in one museum, which is totally true. This is totally true. But I think that to me, what is what makes it special is that if you're trying to tell a story about humanity and the insane things we do and how we should try to avoid doing those insane things, I feel like it's particularly instructive to use the example of a victimized people who then turn around when they have power and become the victimizer. 
mm-hmm. because isn't that the most important story to tell? It's not, it's not like a victimized group who are forever righteous. You know, it's like the story of humanity is when people see power, right? But you, we, you must battle against it at all odds to prevent that power from, but we know why you. that's not happening in the museum in Winnipeg. Right. We yeah. Because why. it, because it is uh, about half funded by a pro Zionist, an anti-Palestinian family, family. an anti Palestinian family, namely the Aspers, which are a very uh, influential family in Winnipeg. I don't think people kind of hand wave it and say, oh, whatever, of course you want. Oh, because it's the Aspers, then you think that there should be Palestinian content. But I think that it's th- that idea stands on its own outside of any political considerations. I think that that idea as an example to use to try to teach people something about human rights, I think is a valid one. I think what we should do is go on a field trip to the museum. Yes. And then review it back. Yes. And tell the people what we saw. That's a great idea. That's a a great idea. That's an amazing idea. I have lots of them from time to time. Wait, wait, are we talking about which museum are we talking? What museum are you talking about? The Canadian Museum of Human Rights. Oh, I thought you were talking about that other one. Oh, you're talking about the Canadian Museum of Human Rights Violations. Yeah, yeah. I thought... That's the one you were talking about. Now, where is that one? That is the name of the protest camp, Chris, that residents of the Shoal Lake First Nations community, Shoal Lake number 40 First Nations community, have set up on the grounds outside of the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. Now, for non-Manitoba listeners, Shoal Lake is where Winnipeg gets its drinking water. Our clean, yummy fresh drinking water yeah so this is the story in 1914 the feds told winnipeg you can expropriate 3,000 acres of land from the shoal lake reserve and you can divert that that was nice of them yeah isn't that kind you can divert that and use it for your drinking water so the communities there were displaced in order to allow for this giant waterway diversion and they were simultaneously excluded where they were moved to was excluded from this new water infrastructure that was being built to bring clean water to Winnipeg. And to this day, there's still no clean drinking water in Shoal Lake. They have been under a boil water advisory for 17 years. So they have set up an encampment. And I mean, they've said, you know, in interviews, they're saying, you know, listen, the the museum has actually been great. They're bringing us like food and water every day. And uh, from Shoal Lake. (laughs) <laughs> like finally we get some drinking water you know and and they're saying we have no problem with the museum but people need to know it's like you're talking about human rights in canada so that winnipeg can have its clean drinking water our our fundamental rights to clean water the clean water where first we're on a reserve and okay well we have access to these the lake the reserve then we get displaced and this land is expropriated and we don't have clean drinking water anymore. It's It's totally crazy. Right. So there's, they're saying, you got to see this too. You know, you have to like, these are, there are fundamental violations of the UN human rights charter going on right here in Manitoba. And again, it just goes to the point that, but that's the nature of the human right. When when, when you, when you distill the whole thing down, the purpose, the reason intended, the, the reason the feds built this thing is to showcase examples of horror elsewhere in the world 
so people can Canadians can walk through and go tisk 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 not here you know and and totally ignore that it's happening right here yeah they, fuck the fucking museum I'm not going there I boycott it <laughs> until the field trip <laughs> then I will go and mad just mad for the first two minutes and then be like hey. cool this is awesome oh wicked oh yeah this is the coolest roller coaster ever you know what no i'm getting too ahead of myself let's reserve judgment until we see the place we're fucking we're half praising this place and half tearing wow. it down well we're not praising it well we're half interested and we're yeah. half tearing it well three quarter nine ninety nine percent tearing it down already yeah. yeah let's go see the thing yeah and see if we come out better human beings if we come out better people then way to go Stephen harper and if we come out mad fuck i'm gonna be so mad <laughs> so stay tuned to see how mad chris gets does that take you back derek it takes me back i'm I'm in a time warp right now help me help i'm in a time warp i missed that i thought i missed it but then i heard it and then i thought i like the new one better everything in the past is embarrassing People are wondering why, what's going on? What do we do? What is that? Why did we play that? What is that? How did that happen? Who made that happen? When made that happen? Well, this is a new segment. Yes. Welcome to a new segment on Escape Velocity Radio called G7 Radio. Yeah. It's where we uh, basically fill up time by, <laughs> by looking back to see... I mean, they say you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. And right now, I'm not sure where I've been. So we're going to go back and find out where I've been. Right. And I think Derek was there too. And we're going to bring you guys along for the ride because you know you want to hear this shit. So so, so the context for listeners who might be unaware is that for many years, from 1997 till about 2007, pretty much, the, the the last couple of years are perhaps have an asterisk next to them. But for those 10 years, you and I, well, you and me for most of it, we ran an independent record label here in Winnipeg called G7 Welcoming Committee Records. People don't know this about us. Some people might not. I think, we, I think we have some listeners who came over from, they were fans of the work that we did with yeah. the label, the bands that we the put work. out. And perhaps of the old radio shows and whatnot but i i would i would guess that probably a majority of our listeners are unfamiliar with that long protracted uh exciting interesting embarrassing cringeworthy era and if that's the case if you are one of those people press stop now (laughs) because what what follows will be of zero interest to you no but so 10 years of a record label we had 56 releases all told. That's crazy. We had 56 releases. I'm going to check to make sure that's true right now. So over the course of 10 years, we released 59 albums in various forms. We got to talking the other day about the the history of the label, how it might be interesting to go back and just review each album that we put out 
not like a necessarily a critical review, but discuss the band, discuss the release, how it what came was to happening be. around yeah. the release. Yeah, because you know, music that comes out is always very often it is pegged to the time that it was produced and released in, mm-hmm. and often you can't fully understand, you know, the meaning or the the excitement that might have been around a particular band or a release without knowing the context that it appeared in. So I thought it might be interesting to listen to some of the music, discuss the context, discuss the bands, you know, whether we liked them or not, uh, how these releases came to be. And I think it's, I mean, I'm assuming this will be a pertinent segment to our listenership because the mandate of the label was to release what we thought was subjectively politically engaging art yeah, to support it, foster it exploit it yeah i mean uh (laughs) we did a terrible job of that we did but also i mean i forget that we did this yeah like we didn't even know how many records we put out yeah and i kind of don't know what i've done with my life in some ways (laughs) so this is this will serve not only as a review of a particular musical slash political project but as a review of our very lives so I think we are, what we are kicking off right now, right here, is the first in 59 segments. We're going to do it chronologically. We're going to do it chronologically. We're starting with the first release, G7001. That was the catalog number. And uh, we are going to plow through our entire catalog of releases. In the next 15 minutes. In the next 15 minutes. No, over the course of the next 59 episodes, apparently. Yeah. Are you up for this challenge? Might as well. Okay. What else are we going to do? So with that, I would like to officially welcome everyone here in this room (laughs) to the first installment, installment one of G7 Radio on Escape Velocity Radio. G7 Radio Revisited. Episode one. Episode one. Segment one. Act one, scene one. Action. The first G7 release basically sums the whole fucking thing up because the first release was just a record we put out by people we knew from Germany who didn't sing in English and had zero commercial value in North America where we are based. Yeah, that's um, a good, that is a good uh, that we, allegory. Perhaps to back up half a step, I think along with this first release, which by the way is by the band But Alive. German band Hamburg. Hamburg, Germany. Germany. Yes. But and alive. But alive. Uh, actually, ellipsis, but alive. Right, ellipsis. That's what that's called? And the album is called, Chris, can you translate? Can you can you pronounce? Well, the, the translation is, everything is okay. Oh, really? Something like that, yeah. Oh, okay. And in German, it is, bis jets ging alles gut. Alles ging gut? Alles ging gut. Yeah, so far so good or something. Okay, like that. I think it's something like that. that. I can't good. remember. That sounds like I, good to me. The singer Marcus V. Bush would yeah. never reveal. He would never indulge me in translations of of anything they did. Why? Well, probably because they're Nazis. <laughs> no, he. I guess there was a lot of colloquialisms, German right. colloquialisms, and uh, turns of phrase and things like that. That would just in his mind were just gibberish in English right so I would ask him I would line by line of songs I'd be sitting in a van with him for 
weeks at a time. And this then this was because you we you went guys, on tour with them. Propaganda went on tour with But Alive. I Spy previously okay. went on tour with them and did a split seven inch with them. So and this is how you were familiar with. That's the how band. we were familiar with them. Okay, just he he helped us play shows over there, and we ended up playing with his band, and they were just great guys, great band, fucking huge in Germany, and the band he's gone on to since he stopped playing. Uh, in Bud Alive, uh, Ketkar is even bigger right. in Germany. They're huge, yeah. but they're not big in North America, and that is probably our fault. Marcus V. Bush, again, the lyricist, the vocalist, the guitarist, is sort of revered in Germany at the same way John K. Sampson is in Canada. Same, right. It's sort of the same thing. Like okay. the, Even just from, the, from Bud Alive to Ketkar, yeah. it's like Sampson, propagandy, lowly propagandy. To the, the, the weaker super, the superstars, Canadian superstars, yeah, of, uh, and singer songwriter. So uh, he's not just bluffing that the lyrics are impossible to translate, right? He's because just, he, he is, was, he he is just, an employer of clever turns of phrase, and, yeah, and things yeah. that he he felt he didn't want it to lose its meaning by translating it, right? But this but, was a this was a, a pretty explicitly. Um, politically angled band yeah you know, I mean, a, I mean, a lefty yes in Germany it was clear yeah it was clear their connections over there that they were involved on the ground with uh, radical leftist movements right and uh, that was part of the attraction got away from my step back a little bit it this might be a useful time to give a brief summary of how because this this record is somewhat intrinsically tied to the birth of the record label as well am i right it it being the first record i suppose but the decision to start the label was was it like the first thing we could do no be this but a live record no we decided to start the label basically to give Derek riel a job (laughs) and then just timing wise they're ready to go because I think at the time us and Samson had talked about you know if you get something together with this new band you're doing why don't we put it out right but that wasn't ready to go either I think it was just timing it, that one was ready first they were intermingled yes yeah but Alive you was ordered ready the catalog number and UBC code first yeah I don't even know what those are <laughs> okay so this but Alive album comes out G7 has North American distribution right. yeah rights yeah fundamental inalienable north american <laughs> rights to this album and and they came over and toured didn't they i know they played wellingtons or something i wasn't in town when they played here i don't think they played on this record i think they came with i spy with okay. that seven inch and i don't think they ever came over here 
with that record. So it was really smart to put out the record when the band wasn't going to come and tour in support of it. Well, we did that with Consolidated too. Brilliant. Brilliant. How do you feel about this record? Well, you know, I, I when we talked about this idea, I thought, fuck, this record is 17 years ago that we put it out. Yeah. I, I didn't know if I would remember it. It's been so long. We We pressed so many, yet I somehow was unable to listen to it in my mind, I didn't listen to many times. As soon as I put it on today, as soon as I put it on, I was like, oh yeah, this song. So I went ahead to the next song. Oh yeah, this song. Yeah. I know Instant this song. familiarity. And then, yeah, it's like I'd listened to the record actually thousands of times back then. Yeah. Or hundreds. And you don't remember. Well, all, I, didn't, all, I don't remember doing that because, you know, after, you drunk. after I was drunk a lot of the time, uh, a lot of the time, most of the time. All the, all time. the time. All the time. I was drunk. Uh, shouldn't laugh. In those years. Yeah, you shouldn't laugh because, but I sure did back then because I was drunk all the time. <laughs> I guess after a few years, I stopped listening to it. I guess that's what people do with records. Yeah. Especially at a record label because you're not necessarily putting out things you would go and grab off the shelf. Oh, and you get so tired of music. And I guess after a few years, we were just, we were putting out other stuff and listening to that. Yeah analyzing it and everything in the back catalog just drifts away yeah almost everything there were some real stables at g7 but this drifted away but now listening to it today my thoughts are it's a pretty decent record a pretty decent 90s punk record recorded in that kind of style yeah where it's it's essentially a band playing live but if you i i feel almost like if you compare it to the north american 90s punk that was coming out at the time it's there's it's jarring to listen to a little bit as a as a native English speaker. I think you need repeated listens to get your head around hearing the the uh, German vocals. Oh, but yeah, I but yeah. I think that musically, like in terms of songwriting, it's like head and shoulders above so much shit that was coming out here. Well, at every, the time, I mean, you could put my one year old behind a set of instruments, and if he had diarrhea all over them that would be head and shoulders above most of what was coming out in the 90s in the so-called punk scene. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. It was terrible. Terrible. I've never, there's never been a lower point in music than that. Think of that. Think of it. But to to me, this record, and I mean, this isn't necessarily high praise at all, but it almost reminds me of How to Clean Everything. Like just the, it's kind of loose. The mixes are, not all the same. Right. The songs are arranged and played for a live environment. Right. And uh, the recording shows all the warts of a band that probably didn't spend too much time in the studio. It's got a good visceral feel to me, though. Like yeah, no, that's what know, I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So does How to Clean Everything, except it sucks. <laughs> but but Except for the remastered version available now at uh, <laughs> fatrecords.com. Please go buy it. It comes bundled with a tab book. People are probably wondering, what happened to this band? They made another record yeah. called Hallo Endorphin. And they actually gave us a chance to put it out. But at that time, we were still sitting on 2,000 copies of the, the first, first record. And we were thinking... Which, by the way, we are still sitting on 2,000 copies of the first As one. we speak, we're sitting on them. And... Uh, it's the Bud Alive couch. We said, I don't think it's worth it for yeah. us or you because you're not coming over to tour. So that was the end of the relationship. Yeah. Although, I, I mean, I saw Marcus last time we were over there. And, 
They actually put out a propaganda record in the in 2009. Yeah, so 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 the 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 story from there is that the band broke up in 1999. Marcus went on to form uh, Ket Car. He was tired of Fast and Heavy. Yeah, which I will never understand. I will never never understand why people do that. But well, it's because you have an un-nuanced um, Neanderthal brain. <laughs> well, there we go. There's now, no shame in that. There's no I shame know. in that. But hey, man, <laughs> let's just face facts. Yeah, they went on to form Ketcar, which is a much more sort of uh, indie rock weaker style. Than, weaker, weaker than, than this. Kind of, yeah. I, think, I think Marcus was, maybe it was even after he had heard the Weaker Than's record that we put out, the foul. He was like, that's what I should do. Right. I'm going to go that way. And then Ketkar went on to become huge. Yes. In Germany. Yeah. And he actually founded a record label called Grand Hotel Van Cleef. Yeah. To put out Ketkar's first record. And it has done very well subsequently. So Chris, what is your favorite song on this record? What You pick a song to take us out of this inaugural segment of G7 Retrospective Radio here on Escape Velocity Radio. What is your What are your choices song for, for this Bud Live record? Well, I mean, if you're going to put me in that position of having to pick a favorite off the record, I'd have to say it's Ausverkauf versus Ghetto Romantica. Los, bis nichts mehr geht. 
All right, so I guess that's it for this segment. Yeah, I think it's I, th- I think it's good. I think we're off to a decent start. So for for people who are perhaps unfamiliar with our catalog and they're maybe interested in this segment, G7 may be dead slash hibernating as a record label, but the website is still up there. G7WelcomingCommittee.com and you can check out our full discography there. We have a full list of all the albums. You can listen to some MP3s. There's links to buy all the shit on iTunes and everything. So, all right. Hope you enjoy the segment because... I've had enough rum to enjoy it. And let us know what you think. Is this interesting? Yeah, if it's not, we'll stop after, I mean, we'll do one record and that's it. Actually, we won't. We'll keep doing it because we're, you know, we have to do this. This might be therapy. This might be therapy for us because we, we've been through a lot. (laughs) We have, and we have never, we've never had any closure. (laughs) There's been no closure. (laughs) There hasn't. For G7 welcoming me. No, you just fucking abandoned me. Okay. Oh, well, we'll deal with this as 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 this goes on. We can't deal with that until we hit the (laughs) releases that came out in 2007. All right, thanks for tuning in for episode 20-fucking-four of Escape Velocity Radio. To read show notes, which I have never done, join the discussion, which I have never done, or listen to our archives, which I've done quite a bit because I think they're really funny, visit our website at escapevelocityradio.com. If you like the show and you want to support us, please leave us a review on iTunes, or you can also make a donation, a financial money donation, via the donate link on our website you can also follow us on twitter facebook or soundcloud by searching for escape velocity radio or you can send us feedback via email at feedback at guess what escape velocity radio.com 